Yes, it is. <laughs> Where every week we talk true crime and the th- all the true crimey things. And stuff. And stuff. And cults and scandals and all the things alike. So thank you so much for being here, people, listening to us jab, jab and yab on about true crime. We really appreciate it. It's a fun time. We try. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is our first... Uh, cold case oh i love a cold case unsolved cold case i mean i don't love a cold case i feel bad for the people Mm -hmm. involved but i get what you're saying yeah i have you know mixed feelings about a cold case when it comes to like listening to one because it's like i want the closure yeah you need the ending but at the same time here we are and we're gonna give light to the story and you know maybe somebody will know something oh maybe because for the two people that listen, you might know something. <laughs> if you know something, there's a hotline you should call. Do I, I have it at the end? I was like, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I know there's one. Okay. So, today we are talking about 24-year-old Julianne Williams, who went by Julie, and 26-year-old Laura Winans, I believe that's how you say her name, and she went by Lolly. Okay. So... Julie was originally from Minnesota, and Lolly was from Maine. The couple had been together for about two years, and they met at a Woods Woman event, which was a nonprofit organization from Minnesota that focused on education and travel for women. So they're lesbians? Yes. Okay, got it. Just wanted to make sure I was on the same page. <laughs> they are indeed. And that kind of comes into play with their case. Okay. Sometimes. Because this is the 90s. Just oh, so we're clear. Back, back when everybody was gay and yeah, hate that basically. Um, so this organization was described as the quote unquote heart of a revolution in the outdoor industry and a corrective to the sexist and dangerous experience that most women would face in other organizations. So this was like a safe haven for women. I can support that. So I really like that. I thought that was nice. So, both women had been survivors of sexual assault, so this organization was, like, they're, they were thriving. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is my happy place. Oh, good. And they met through an event that was kind of like um, a retreat of some sort, and they just instantly clicked. Oh, it was, it was so sweet. I love that. Um, and it was said that they weren't really an odd couple, but they kind of came from very different bra- uh, backgrounds, mm-hmm. so everyone was kind of shocked that they were together. I mean... Also, they were women, so, in the 90s. But, so, Lolly was said to be a quote-unquote micro-brew drinking, fish, P-H-I-S-H, following, cigarette-smoking, good-time girl. Oh, so she's like me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. I think you would like Lolly. (laughs) Probably. Uh, Her family was from Michigan, and they were pretty well off, but by all accounts, she did not want anything to do with that lifestyle. She kind of wanted to do her own thing and have her own independence, Mm -hmm. which we stand. We love. We love. After high school, she left home, and she went to college in Vermont, but dropped out. Uh, A few years later, in 1994, 
She enrolled at Unity College in Maine, and she was studying to become a wilderness guide. Ooh. Who knew you could go to school to become a wilderness guide? I didn't until right now. I didn't. That's for sure. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I, I should have known about that. I probably would have dropped out, but I would have loved to have known about it. I would have tried. I would have tried. Yeah. So Lolly just loved the outdoors, and she loved being, she just loved nature and everything about it. And since she had such a great experience, she wanted to help others have that. My damn dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode. (laughs) Uh, She wanted to help others have the same experience. So it seemed like Lolly was much more of a free spirit, where Julie was much more of a high achiever. Julie was studying to become a geologist. She was a sport enthusiast who won the, the Minnesota State Double Tennis Championship while in high school. And in college, she traveled to Europe, and she was studying the extinction of dinosaurs. Oh, wow. Like, some badass women. <laughs> in my, I, I love in, them. Uh, she graduated summa, summa cum laude and spoke Spanish. She helped people in need and people who um, were survivors of abuse. Mm-hmm. After college, she went to Richmond, Vermont, and worked at a bookstore. And she just seemed the type that would do anything and everything. And they were just like a powerhouse together. Well, we love that. We love that. We love love. So Julie had gotten a new job opportunity, which she was going to start in June of 1996. So she had planned a trip with Lolly to celebrate. Being both of the women loved outdoors, which we talked about, she planned a trip for them to go to Virginia and backtrap in the backtrap <laughs> backpack in the shenandoah national park we love a good autocorrect situation <laughs> we love the shenandoah national park we do so for anyone who does not know the shenandoah national park it's located in virginia like i said in the blue ridge mountains uh there's over 500 trails mm-hmm. didn't know that part i've been on most of them really yeah i, I uh, we, there's like a lot around here. I hiked the Appalachian Trail for eight days when I was in college. Nice. The first time. Yeah. Nathan, my husband Nathan did that too. It's fun. Yeah. He did something. He tried. He's tried to talk me into it. I'm very out of shape, so not right now. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> um, 101 miles of the trails actually consist of the famous Appalachian Trail, which we just said, which I love, which we love. Um, for anyone who's never been, it's absolutely gorgeous. And there's uh, something called the Skyline Drive, which is basically just a road that drives through the whole thing. And you can see, like, basically just panoramic views of mountains and scenery. And it's beautiful. We've been there. We've done this. I'm rewinding in my brain. I feel like I accidentally said Appalachian. <gasps> but I really Imposter! don't Imposter! Might be. The dogs. Oh, no. They're coming for me. The, the hellhounds are coming from Appalachia. <laughs> I don't know what happened. My brain just stopped working. Um, so this whole area is just absolutely gorgeous and outdoorsy and just right up Julie and Lolly's alley. So on Sunday, May 19th, 1996, Julie and Lolly, along with their golden retriever Taj, started their backtrap. Now I'm just going to say backtrapping <laughs> trip this whole episode. Their backpacking trip. So that was May 19th. Okay. May 31st comes around and no one has heard from Julie or Lolly. So people are getting worried. Because that's not like them. It's also been over 10 days. I guess so. I mean, I've been on the trail for a while. So I know that, like, you don't always have a chance to get off 
So that's yeah. normal to me. Yeah. I don't think they were planning on this being that long of a trip. That's fair. Okay. And it was also like pre-cell phone era. Mm-hmm. So everyone was a little bit worried. Um, so Julie's dad, who was Thomas Williams, reported his daughter missing. Park rangers started a search and they were able to find their car north of the Skyland Lodge. Uh, the Skyland Lodge is a very popular spot in the park. There's like a bar and restaurant and cabins. I've been there. I highly recommend. It's a good time. I love it. Mm-hmm. We went on the um, 4th of July weekend. Oh, okay. And since you're so high up, you could see the fireworks below you. Oh. That was so cool. See, I've only been there like casually on like random days. Yeah, we went on like an overnight okay. trip. It was really nice. It was so cool. You just see like little starbursts below you. Oh, we'll have to We'll have to do that. Yes. They also have horses you can ride, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the Skyline Lodge, um, location-wise, is kind of close to Luray, Virginia, mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't know, which is probably most people listening. So once they find the car, they start looking around the area and start looking around all the nearby trails. Through this search, they find their dog, Taj, running around unleashed. Oh, no. And they're immediately worried. Well, they were worried before, more so now. So the next day on June 1st, the bodies of Julie and Lolly were found at the campsite on Bridal Trail, which was part of the horse trail system that runs from Big Meadows to Skyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the campsite was only about a quarter mile down the trail from Skyline Drive. Yes. And a half a mile from the Skyline Skyland Lodge, which was only about 10 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So they weren't that far off, really. They had pitched their tent in a spot that had, in theory, would have been pretty peaceful and probably pretty romantic. Like, there was a little stream nearby. It was trickling. It was just a very nice, secluded area. Mm -hmm. I could see why they picked it. Um, Investigators believe that because of where they set up in the stream, it's very possible that all that noise could have blocked out them hearing approaching footsteps or any kind of warning sounds. That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really sad. Um, the two women had been sexually assaulted, bound, gagged, and their throats were slashed. I know. Um, also, this was the weekend after Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, the park was full of tourists and hikers, and the bodies were only about ten minutes away from the busiest locations in the park, and they were were there for, like, over a week. We said before, you never know your proximity to a dead body. In a previous episode, we did say that. You never know how close you are. Especially in a national park, probably. Yeah. <laughs> to a dead body. Oh, I hate that. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of people go up there to uh, to mm. unalive themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little peaceful spot, but it's yeah. still unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of hard for me to imagine when I read that tidbit that it went so long without them being noticed. Mm-hmm. Because the Skyline Drive... It's a lot of people. Oh, I know. Um, so that was my first thought, but then I found out that there was actually a backcountry regulation, which stated that backpackers had to camp away from trails, mm-hmm. um, fire roads, and developed areas. So basically, they were just following the rules and they stayed out of sight. Mm-hmm. But because they followed the rules, nobody found them. Unfortunate. That's why we support the rebels in the world. <laughs> 
not always sarcasm people that's why we should support our <laughs> national parks more uh that way we can get more training for the park rangers mm-hmm. so they can have more staff so just remember whenever you want to donate anywhere the national parks always a great always. place all right so a camera was found at the campsite which gave some insight into this trip in their final days so they arrived to the national park on may 19th which we knew and started their journey on the white oak canyon trail after a few days they did come out of the trail because it had rain because it had rained uh, they hitched a ride with a park ranger to go and they went to renew their camping permit and then they set out to the woods again they climbed the highest mountain hawksbill and after that they made camp which later turned into the murder scene mm. So they did get some kind of timeline, but it wasn't very helpful. Mm-hmm. So apparently, not a whole lot of crime happens in national parks. Crime happens. But not an excessive amount. Right. So it's believed that most cold cases and missing people and deaths, all that, it's typically caused by people who are just lost. Mm-hmm. or an accidental fall mm-hmm. most of the time it's just a pure accident and because the parks are just so massively vast open space basically of woods they just don't get found yeah that checks out not saying no crime happens but most they believe that most of the time it's just purely accident mm-hmm. so but it, it was said that in one of the articles that whoa I just lost my spot hold on Okay. Um, whenever there is, whenever there is a crime committed in a national park, the investigation is very complex. Oh, I believe that. One article that I read said that if you go missing, a national park is probably the worst place for that to happen. Um, mainly because it's no one knows what jurisdiction it falls under, mm-hmm. so it's going through the ho- the hoops and the legalities of jurisdictions and different databases and. It's just an absolute administrative nightmare. Oh, I believe it. Which puts everything kind of, I don't want to say on pause, but it takes everything significantly longer Mm -hmm. to get done. And then it's just a nightmare figuring out who's going to work the case, and it's a huge nightmare. So that was already a huge, um, not a good step in the right direction. Got it. (laughs) My mind blanked. <laughs> so the Shenandoah National Park is exclusive federal jurisdiction, which means that only the federal government has law enforcement authority. So there are special a- agents that are a part of the National Park Service that were working alongside FBI, but they were also working with the Virginia State Police Crime Unit. So this turned it in- into a multi-jurisdictional investigation, which was a huge, to put it bluntly, pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um. It's like too many chefs in the kitchen, too many hands in the pot, people are stepping on toes, no one's communicating with each other very well, and it was just all way too much. Along with that, there was also just the basic challenge of collecting evidence and investigating just an outdoor space. Oh, yeah. In general, because one, like we said, it's a very popular tourist uh, destination. Every day, people are coming and going. Mm -hmm. For people who don't understand how popular this is, (laughs) this is fairly close to us. So we, 
it can be an absolute nightmare for a tourist. <laughs> so, in peak season... Which is fall. Which is the fall because of the leaf peepers. If you think about leaf peeping in the Shenandoah National yes. Park, don't just stay home. Peep at the leaves like, in your backyard. It's um, like that episode of Family Guy. <laughs> See, I don't watch TV, so I yeah. don't. It's like an older episode where it's like all the people from the city just come. And it's like an absolute nightmare of traffic. And you can't get anywhere. And mm-hmm. for like, It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous um, view. Don't get me sure. wrong. But it's a tourist nightmare. <laughs> For like a little bit more behind it, it takes ten minutes to get across town regular day. Mm-hmm. When leaf peepers are in town, it takes an hour and fifteen minutes. I work four minutes away from my house, mm-hmm. and we're right at the base of Shenandoah National Park. Mm-hmm. It takes me forty-five minutes to get home from work when it's peak season. Oh yeah, it's a nightmare. It's better for me to walk. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true, actually. <laughs> um. So that year in general, just to give a little bit of perspective for the people who don't know, that still don't believe us, 1.57 million people visited that park that year. I believe that. That's over 4,000 people a day. So they're looking at potentially thousands and thousands of people walking in and out just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, even if no one saw their campsite and bothered it, you don't know who was in the general vicinity, who mm-hmm. could have tampered with evidence. Um, and with that many people coming in and out every single day, it's impossible for the staff to remember. Yeah, like, that's true. Like, who's suspicious? Who was this? Who was that? Because it's like 4,000 people a day. And if you've seen some of the through <laughs> hikers, they all look suspicious. Yeah, because they've just been, like, on the trail for, like, days and weeks. and Yeah. Like, no one really stands out as suspicious because... You just see people from literally all over the world in various states <laughs> of being. Um, so, yeah. So, between that alone, that was a huge just back step for them. Um, and then there's also just the crime scene being outside and exposed to all the elements. Animals coming and going. Mm-hmm. The weather. They These girls were there for over a week. Oh, jeez. I mean... Everything was basically washed away, and it was a huge mm-hmm. disservice of this investigation. Um, the investigators of this case definitely had a lot of factors that were not in favor, and it was basically just a needle in a haystack. The National Park Service and the FBI conducted a, na- a nationwide search for the killer, and they ended up following up on an estimated 15,000 leads. Oh, my God. None of them turned into anything. That's excessive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jeez. Then, unfortunately, the media found out that they were lesbians and they were in a relationship. The media. And, and this is the 90s. Ugh. And they blasted that information everywhere. Because being in the 90s, it was very scandalous and people bought that story. They listened to that story. It was not it was not fair to Julie and Lolly. Absolutely not. At all. So that's an issue in itself, but the a bigger problem was that Ju- uh Julie and Lolly weren't really out. So like their families didn't even know that they were together. Oh no. Um it was said that one of the women she was quoted at some point of I think she like wrote it in a letter or something. Um, she was scared of being publicly publicly affectionate 
and she was scared that the strain of that of their gay relationship would basically put an end to it mm. so it was a definite it was a stressor it was a thought for them yeah and they the media just blasted it everywhere my heart breaks because if it were like nowadays they would have been completely fine mm-hmm. um so the families found out about their relationship mm-hmm. through the media on the day of their funerals mm. which it wasn't like any of them necessarily cared yeah but it was just that opportunity to have that conversation was just ripped away from them yeah and that was how they found out. That is so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. Uh, so, yeah. That was just really sad. It's crazy to think how much time changes things. Oh, I know. Because, like, nowadays, which there are some news outlets who would blast that information and make it a bigger deal. But I kind of feel like most people now don't. Like, you'd be like, oh. Be like, okay. for them. Okay. Okay. Like, that didn't need to be in the article, but cool. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, for over a year, the case had no traction. There was nothing. Until the next year, in July of 1997. So, a Canadian tourist, her name was Avon Malbasha. Hopefully, I said that right. She was a cyclist that was enjoying her bike ride on the Skyline Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, unfortunately, Avon did not have a very relaxing bike ride. Oh, no. A man that was driving a truck came up to her and forced her off the road and off of her bike. He stopped the truck, screaming terrible, awful things at her and tried to force her into his truck. Ew. Mm-hmm. So, thankfully, she fought him off and she kind of hid behind the trees so he couldn't see her. Um, he got back in his truck. He repeatedly tried to run her over until he just kind of gave up and uh. sped off. So, she reported it. And the park ranger stopped him as he was trying to leave the park. Investigators searched his truck, and they later found hand and leg restraints inside of the vehicle. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Right. Mm. This attacker was... That's why I was messing up. This attacker was Daryl David Rice. At the time, he was in his late 20s. He lived in Columbia, Maryland. He was single, never been married, no kids. The face that I'm making right now. I know. uh. (laughs) He did not have a criminal record, but he had just been fired from his job because he was known for being extremely hostile. Ew. Mm Mm-hmm. Former co-workers told investigators that he would yell sexual profanities at them. He punched a hole in the men's bathroom, would steal everyone's lunches, which is so like <laughs> that is that's where I draw the line. You do not steal. You don't lunch. touch my food. <laughs> um, he would do stupid things like he would intentionally bump into them, mm-hmm. so they would spill hot coffee all over themselves. Ugh. What a douche! Yeah, and he took down a woman's photo that was hanging on the wall. I guess it was like an employee or something, and he just threw it in the trash for no reason. This guy needs needed help. That's what he needed. I don't know. Daryl, Darrell, whatever your name is, wherever you are, wherever you are, he's still alive, but (laughs) you needed help, my guy. So in 1998, Daryl pled guilty to the attempted abduction of of Yvonne. He was sentenced to 135 months in federal penitentiary. I can never say that word. Penitentiary. Yes, that word. I don't even think I said it right better than me prison he went to prison 
He's a jailbird. Um, that translated to about 11 years, I think. I don't do math, so. It was some years. <laughs> uh, 135 months. There you go. Oh, this led prosecutors to believe that Daryl could have been involved with the murders of Julie and Lolly. Mm. Because of the location of the crimes, his choice of female victims, and his predatory and extreme behavior. They believed he might have been connected. There was also a videotape found of Daryl entering the park around the time Julie and Lolly was there. So May 25th at 8.05 p.m. and again the next day at May 26th at 4.57 p.m. Um, he was there coming and going. Mm. There, there was video of that. He returned with his two friends later on on June 1st. Daryl denied the May visits, those two visits. Um, which would have put him at the park at the same time they were. But he did confirm that he was there in June. Why would... They got you on videotape, my dude. I know. So five years after the murders, they had enough circumstantial evidence. So on April 10th, 2001, the Attorney General John Ashcroft announced the indictment of Daryl David Rice for the murders of Julie and Lolly. That's where you kind of hope he did it. That way Mm -hmm. they're not convicting somebody who didn't do something. Right. So, allegedly, according to the prosecutors, Daryl made some not-so-great statements Mm. while in custody. Uh, They said that he claimed he enjoyed assaulting women because they were more vulnerable than women, or more vulnerable than men. Ew. Ew. He also told prosecutors that Julie and Lolly deserved to die because they were gay. Mm. I got I got big emotions about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not okay. Not okay. So Daryl was charged with four counts of capital murder. Two of those were because he allegedly, quote unquote, selected these vic- victims based on their sexual orientation. Because of that, Daryl was technically being charged with hate crimes. Good. And his indictment now involved a federal senten- sentencing. And if convicted, that would have received the death penalty. Mm. So because he said they were gay, he dug that hole. No sympathy, no party. Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, So Daryl was never sentenced and the case just fell apart. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. He probably did it. Uh, We don't know. So there was a piece of hair at the crime scene that was tested in 2003. And it did not match Daryl, Julie, or Lolly. It could have been, like, hair from a bear. Yeah. The hair was found on the duct tape that was used at the scene. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty sure they would have known if it was a bear. Yeah. (laughs) So, three years were spent trying to build a case, but nothing happened. And in 2004, the charges were dismissed, quote-unquote, without prejudice. This meant that he could still be charged at a later date if, by chance, they could get enough evidence. Mm. So, he's not completely off the hook. We've got time. But we don't know. So, he was released from prison in 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last I could tell, he was last seen in Colorado in 2014. So, he can stay over there. He can stay in Colorado. (laughs) Sorry, Colorado Ian's. Maybe the weed helps them be less a little more homophobic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. 
there's an author and a journalist. Her name was Catherine Mills, and she wrote a book about the murders. And that's really the only thing I really saw about this case. And all their information comes from this book, so I okay. figured I'd mention it. Um, and she really looked into a lot more detail and possible suspects okay. of what happened. So she believed that during this investigation, something that's called confirmation bias happened. Basically meaning that once the investigators decide something is true, they kind of filter out everything else mm -hmm. because it doesn't go with their story. Basically meaning they thought Daryl was guilty and they didn't explore any other options. So that's what she believed happened. As opposed to kind of finding other things, seeing who else was there, if that fell through, they just kind of stopped with Daryl. I mean... I yeah. kind of stopped at Daryl, too. I know. We all stopped at Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and basically just saying there was so much pressure to get someone convicted on this case, they were just trying to find somebody and go with it, mm -hmm. basically. She also said that the FBI did a quick interview with Carrie Stainer. So, for anyone who does not know Carrie Stainer, he was a serial killer that was notorious for killing in the yosemite park mm. so he was in that same time period they but they kind of wrote him off there was nothing really tying him other than he was a serial killer that worked in parks got it or killed in parks i should say so he was dismissed so she doesn't really think it's outside of the realm of possibility that she, they could have been a victim of a serial killer but we don't know i hate that we don't know i know she also said um, that in spring of 2002, the attorney general that I mentioned was facing a lot of pressure to show that he was being tough on hate crimes mm -hmm. because this was after um, September 11th. Got it. This was like right after. Um, so when he announced the indictment against Daryl Rice, he did so in a very strange national press conference where he was trying to draw a comparison that by indicting Daryl, we as a country would like heal from September 11th or something. Oh. It was very strange. Like it was very obvious. It was very political. It was to prove a point. It was very weird. And that this was like weird. And it was like the first hate crime, quote uh -huh. unquote. Well, it's not. I want to say quote unquote, but allegedly because he's not guilty yet. Mm. Um, the first actual hate crime that was brought to the court after. Got it. So they were really making it like a big deal. But there's also a possible suspect that we've talked about before. Oh, yeah? Who's that? In a previous episode. Wh who is it? Richard Ivanitz, who had oh. the survivor who got away from him and busted his ass. Oh, man. Yep. So if you did not listen to that episode, here's the cliff notes for anyone who does not know. And did not listen, which you should go and listen. Go listen. So Richard was a serial killer who kidnapped, raped, and murdered three girls in Spotsylvania County in Virginia. Um, and he abducted and raped, but did not kill a girl in South Carolina. That's the girl who escaped and busted his ass. Um, he supposedly confessed to many other murders, but he died by suicide in 2002 when the police tried to arrest him. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, so no justice was served. It was a whole thing. Again, go listen to the episode. So she said that investigators immediately made the assumption that Richard couldn't have done it. 
even though it was the same time period, around the same location, mm-hmm. a whole thing. And he admitted to doing other murders. No one knows who they are, though. Oh. So, so it's a whole thing. Um, because he targeted teenagers and he was kind of known to be a pedophile, mm-hmm. they were like, well, we can't wrap our minds around the fact that someone who goes after 15, 16-year-old girls would attack two women in their 20s. Yeah. So that does make sense. And also, Richard's M.O. was he would abduct them from their homes, mm-hmm. like in their front yards, in broad daylight. He didn't, like, go scurrying in the woods to find people. Yeah. So the M.O. is a little different than what we know of, but he's not really out of the clear yet. So he's another option. We don't know. Eh, I'm still leaning towards Daryl. I'm still leaning towards Daryl. Um, let's see. There's also some questioning about the fact that Julie and Lolly were two victims out of eight women that were killed in Central Virginia in a 14-month period. Mm-hmm. There's also a possible connection that there are, are other murders and attempted murders of four other lesbians that were on uh, protected forest land. Oh. So there was a couple uh, named Becky Dowski and Kathy Thomas. They were murdered in 1986 along the Colonial Park Scenic Highway in Virginia. Okay. And then the attempted murders was a couple in... They were uh, Rebecca White and Claudia Brenner, and they were in Pennsylvania in 1988. Okay. So, there's question of if that's a possibility as well. There's a lot of options. Sounds like there's a lot of options. Um, And during our Richard episode, I mentioned the Route 29. The Route 29 stalker. No one knows if that's a one person, if it's multiple people. Mm -hmm. If you don't remember... The Route 29 stalker, it's basically a long list of women that went missing in Virginia along Route 29 mm-hmm. between a certain year period. So there's possibility that they're connected to that as well. No. Oh. At this point, the murders of Julie and Lolly is still an active investigation, and therefore the FBI will not discuss any person of interest. They're kind of keeping it to the chest. And on the 20th anniversary of the murders, the FBI circulated a press release and updated the posters. And a rep from the FBI said, quote, It's our hope that any continued coverage of the girls' murders will one day generate that one crucial piece of information that may bring some justice and peace to the families. On that note, if you know anything about this case, call the FBI Richmond Division Eight zero four two six one one zero four four. There's that number. I didn't. There's know. that number. So that's really unfortunate. Hopefully they. I hope they solve that case. I hope so, because everyone deserves to have their case solved. Everybody deserves a little bit of closure. I agree. Yeah. And if it is Daryl, I hope they get the evidence that they need if it's not daryl i still hope they get the evidence that they need to lock away the right person yeah i don't like having unsolved case close to home yeah me either i don't like it we've got a couple though yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't love that either (laughs) all right so on that note casey we'll see you guys next time we will see you next time Bye. Bye.